This, I want to preface a couple of things before we stand and, and reading of the scriptures in just a moment. Confirming something that I shared a few minutes ago in the membership class, and that's ironically as a pastor and as the leaders, my job to a degree is to influence you. If you're an unbeliever, I want to influence you towards accepting Christ. If you are Christian, but perhaps there's immorality in your life, my job's to influence you to, to walk holy before the Lord. Certain areas, we all strive to influence. Now, there's a couple of thoughts with this. I want to be found guilty of influencing people in the right angle, in the right direction. I don't want to be found guilty of steering you in the wrong direction. So as a pastor, I understand the heavy weight that befalls us. Paul warned the teachers, or the writer of Hebrews warned that the teachers will be judged uh, at a higher standard when we stand before God one day because we've been given a platform. We've been given an opportunity. You've shown some respect. You've shown some value. You've shown some type of appreciation for um, the ministry, for the church, for the, the ability to, to communicate. And you come and you've given me your time to listen. And I value that deeply and I don't take that for granted. But I want to say this today. I'm being honest. My desire is to influence you. My desire is to steer you. You say, Pastor, you're very narrow-minded in certain things. I am. I'm going to be honest with you. It's based upon a belief in the Scriptures. I'm not the most educated person, but I have a belief system that I really believe is founded upon the Scriptures. And I know everybody says that. Everybody says, well, everybody thinks they got it right. Right? Everybody thinks that they're interpreting the scriptures right. Everybody thinks that they've got the cultural issues interpreted right. And ultimately, somebody is right. I hope and pray that the angle that I, and I believe it. I believe it so much, I'm going to stand in front of you today and I'm going to share with you. I believe it that strongly. And I recognize that I do so, I make myself vulnerable to the judgment of God because of the things that I'm going to say today. So won't you stand up? We're going to turn to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to begin in the third chapter. If it will make me look more educated, I will put my glasses on. That will help you receive from me today. In Luke, the third chapter, it's one of the passages of Scripture that I... I this, the first three verses of this particular passage just, just stands out to me. and The way it's written, Luke captured the essence of this moment right here, the appearance of John the Baptist, because he sets to us the cultural climate in which John appeared. In the 15th year, in the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate is the governor of Judea, and Herod being the tetrarch, which is governor of Galilee, and his brother Philip is the tetrarch of Itcherea and of the region of Trachonitis. And Licinius is the tetrarch of Abilene. These are the sons of Herod the Great, one that we're most familiar with, the Herod that's mentioned in the destruction of the children at the birth of Jesus. That Herod is deceased now in his kingdom. His Judean kingdom has been divided in four provinces each given a province to one of his sons. These are not all of his sons. Fortunately, Herod in his anger and wrath did not only destroy the infant children of Bethlehem, but he also murdered many of his own children as well. He was a brutal and a vicious man. And so this is the climate to a degree. Now those long years have passed and his sons are now reigning in his stead. And it says in Annas and Caiaphas being the high priest, this is father and father-in-law, one of these is the high priest, the other is the former high priest. It's being the high priest, the word of God came unto John, the son of Zacharias in the wilderness. With all these men and all their trained status as political leaders and religious leaders, oddly enough, God chose this man John, the son of Zacharias, that the word of God would come to him. He came into all the country about Jordan preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Let's stop there, though I will allude to verses uh, 4 through 17 later. I will simply refer to it later, but we, for the sake of time we'll not read it. 
So let's pick it up at the 18th verse here. This is extending the preaching of John. Many other things in his exhortation preached he unto the people, much more than what was recorded in those few verses preceding. But Herod the Tetrarch, the governor, being reproved by him for Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done, added yet this above all, that he shut up John in prison. Now we'll turn over to the seventh chapter, and we're going to pick up the story here of John. John is mentioned now here. Uh, it actually began in the 17th verse through the 23rd verse. I'll not read that, but John is in prison and he sends two disciples to Jesus to ask if he really is the coming Messiah, though he had boldly proclaimed him to be the Christ earlier. He's now questioning because of uh, certain factors that we might mention here shortly. And so Jesus uh, responds and sends the men back to John 24th verse says, When the messengers of John were departed, he began to speak unto the people concerning John. What went you out into the wilderness for to see? A reed shaken with the wind. But what went you out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment. Behold, they which are gorgeously apparelled and live delicately are in king's courts. But what went you out for to see? A prophet, yea, I say unto you, and much more than a prophet... This is he of whom it is written. Isaiah had prophesied, Behold, I send my messenger. This is Malachi, before the, the, the prophecy of Malachi, my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Isaiah had also prophesied his ministry as well. For I say unto you, among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And all the people that heard him and the publicans justified John being baptized with the baptism of John, justified God being baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves. How easy that uh, seems to repeat itself. Being not baptized of him. It's easy, it seems to me, for men and women to reject the counsel of God against themselves. The 31st verse, And the Lord said, Now the Lord is tag-teaming with John's ministry. Whereunto then shall I liken the men of this generation? And to what are they like? Remember, Jesus and John's ministry overlapped for a short period of time. John went in front for X amount of months before Jesus appeared, and then before John began to diminish, their ministries overlapped for a period of time. And so uh, for, for that small period of time, they both were addressing the generation concurrently. He said, Whereunto shall I liken the men of this generation, and to what are they like? He said, They are likened to children seated in the marketplace and calling to one another and saying, We have piped unto you, which means in essence... We have played music for you. We created a festive atmosphere and you wouldn't dance. So then we swung the pendulum to the other side. And so then we mourned with you. We put on the funeral dirge and we played the sound of sorrowful music, but you wouldn't weep. And he said this, consider John. He said, John came neither eating bread nor drinking wine. John was very isolated in his personal uh, lifestyle. And, he's, and, and, it's, and he said, and you said, he has a devil. The son of man has come eating and drinking. And you said, well, now he's a gluttonous man and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and of sinners. But Jesus said this, wisdom is justified of all her children. Now, did you know John the Baptist's ministry is very prolific in Scripture? It appears but for a short season, even Jesus referred to it as just, he, it came for a time. It was just a short season, but it was very prolific in its effect. Oddly enough that men, some believe that John or someone in the spirit of John the Baptist will reappear before the coming of the Lord of the second advent. I can't say against that or for that. Men have failed, brought much... Um, you know, much error upon the church and upon themselves by standing up and saying, I'm the John the Baptist that should come. I mean, no, I would reject that. But I do believe that we do need to hear voices collectively united in the church that's in the spirit of John, that had the boldness to address the culture in which we live today. 
So we're going to pray and we're going to, pray, we're going to attempt to minister today, not in any wise supposing ourselves to be a John or the John, but to minister in the spirit of John today. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We're humbled. I'm humbled. I'm almost humbled to the point where I'm almost intimidated today, Father, by this great congregation that's here. And I know that even now there's an uneasiness in their hearts, God, and anxiety towards what direction the pastor will take. And I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that we trod, Father God, down a path that the Spirit of God has directed our steps. I pray, Lord, let preaching come easy. Father, let the Holy Spirit speak to us with great clarity. Let it force us to confront certain issues that are relevant to both us, to our community, to Father, the nation in which we live, and ultimately as a small part of the great united church around the world. We pray this today in Jesus' name and all God's children said, Amen. Thank you. I would like to take just a few minutes to kind of backtrack for just a few moments and kind of arrive. Learn how we arrived where we arrived in the third chapter of the Gospel of Luke. The canon of Scripture had been closed in the Hebrew culture for 400 years. The last, perhaps not the last only prophetical voice, but the last voice deemed prophetical, deemed the office of a prophet had been Malachi. Malachi prophesied in the days of the Reformation of the temple during the time of Ezra, Nehemiah, Zechariah. These were three and four hundred years before the time of Christ. Malachi's prophecy was that one would come, a forerunner, a messenger that would go in front of the Messiah. Isaiah had said he would be a voice of one crying in the wilderness. But for 400 years, the sound of a fresh sound of a prophetical voice had not been heard in all of Israel. They had adapted and adopted the style of Judaism. They had began to, uh, unfortunately, as the sect of the Pharisees and the scribes began to grow within Judaism, then much of the word of God was displaced for traditions. Jesus confronted a lot of that as he studied or as he ministered. Do you all remember that? We won't address that today. But Jesus did confront a, a, a considerable amount of it. He said, you have transgressed the word of God because you have elevated your tradition over the Word of God, and we see this. And so at this particular time, just 30 years prior to where we began reading in Luke's Gospel, a monumental moment happened when a priest of the order of Abia, A-B-I-A, also who was married to Elizabeth, who was of the lineage of Aaron, so of that distinct priestly line, an aged man had the opportunity to go and to burn incense in the house of God in according to the lot. At that time, there were more priests that were available to do the service of the temple than uh, what the, the, the demand was. So you didn't serve there continually. You served perhaps twice a year. And you would go, and while there, it would be ascribed to you what your responsibility was. Now, Zechariah is held in great respect because not only is he of the priestly lineage of Aaron, but so is his wife as well. That, too, affords him great respect. He's an aged man. He does not. The Levites aged out at 50 years of age, but the priest did not. So he's held in great esteem. The lot fell to him to have the opportunity to go and to burn incense inside the holy place again on the golden altar which was against the veil that was separated between the table of showbread on one side and the lampstand on the other. It was a great privilege. Only the priest went in once in the morning, once in the evening for that great opportunity and while there would offer a prayer. And Zechariah as he went in people had gathered around on the outside that particular fateful day and were praying, worshiping God in full expectation. And Zechariah completes his uh, putting incense on the golden altar and offering his praise to God when he is startled because that, in that place there's supposed to be nobody but you. And he hears a voice and he turns and I don't know what the silhouette, I don't know what the, what, what the look of an angel is, but there standing there in the holy place is the angel Gabriel that speaks to him and says, Zechariah, your prayer is, has been heard. And, 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 he, and I'm sure you suppose, what prayer? He said, the prayer that you prayed long years ago that your wife would have a son. 
a prayer that he forgot, a prayer that he had forgotten because he's aged out, he's moved past. That's why you never give up on God, church family. See, we sometimes forget, but God doesn't forget. And God promises him that his wife is going to have a son and he's going to be strong in the Lord. And Zechariah is kind of overwhelmed by the, 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 the presence of the moment and by the heaviness of the promise. He says, how can this be? I'm aged and my wife is aged. And I'm telling you, if you want anything from God, you better just keep your mouth shut if you've just got unbelief. And, and not speak that unbelief to God because you're not going to get what you need. So as a result was God said, in order for you to no longer cripple this thing, I'm going to shut your mouth so that you can't speak unbelief over this transaction before it has an opportunity to unfold. And you're going to remain in unbelief because I am the angel Gabriel and I've been sent by God to tell you that your dead loins are about to leap to life again and your wife's barren womb is about to come back to life again. And I'm telling you, it won't be long before this it's going to be a bouncing baby boy. He's going to be strong in the Lord. You're going to name him John. He's not to, he's not to drink wine or, or strange meat. He's to live an isolated life, but he's going to be great in the sight of God, and many are going to rejoice at his appearing, and he's going to be a messenger. He's going to go in front. And when this prophecy is being told to Zacharias, immediately he's reminded of the prophecies of Messiah. He knows of the prophecies of Malachi, and it is that God has chosen him to be the father of the promised messenger who would go in front of the coming of the Messiah. What a powerful moment that it was And when Zechariah left out. Can you imagine? Like Moses who came down from the mountain and knew not that his face did shine with the glory of God. In that moment of time, Zechariah went to try to convey to the people what he had seen and heard and he could not speak. But the people perceived that he had seen a vision. He goes back home, and lo and behold, Elizabeth has a child. Isn't that an exciting thing? Oh, y'all know I could preach about that today. But for the sake, I'll slip away. And so, for just a moment of time, the day came when they were going to dedicate this baby. Eight days after the birth of the baby, they're going to go and present the child to the Lord, and they're going to dedicate it, and they're going to name the baby. And all the women folk, that was the culture of that day, they afforded the women the opportunity to name the child. And they got ready to name the child and said, he looks like Zacharias. He's got Zacharias' his features, so we're going we're gonna to name him Zacharias. Elizabeth said, no, his name is going to be John. And they were like, what? There's nobody in your family named John. Where did you get that at? There's nobody named John. And so they said, well, let's go to Zacharias because we know Zacharias is going to want his son to be named after him. And so Zacharias can't talk. And so he said, bring me, he, he, he motioned with his hand, a writing tablet. And they bring him a writing tablet and in Hebrew or Arabic, one of the two, John scratches, or, or, or Zacharias scratches out on the marker board, John. And when he makes that final pass, then the Spirit of God that sealed up his vocal cords and muted him lest he speak unbelief over the coming of and the prophecies concerning his son now looses his vocal cords and the anointing of God falls upon Zechariah and what he heard the angel say in the holy place now he becomes the conduit of prophetical blessing over his son and he begins to prophesy the very same word that the angel had spoken in the holy place and he prophesies that that child will be great in the sight of God. He will have the spirit of God upon him. He will go in the strength and the power of God and he will be the forerunner of the coming of the Messiah. Glory to God. And when that happened, that reverberated all around the Judean hillsides and there was great expectation that that child had been called of God, a prophet even from the earliest of days. But oddly enough, John is the son of a priest. His father is a priest. But John chose to live an isolated life and not fulfill his responsibility of serving in the temple as a priest. And he stays in the wilderness until the days of his showing. Isolated. Isolated from the religious structure of the day. 
perhaps even frustrated by the, by the religious confusion of Judaism. So when we began reading in the 30th chapter, or, or in the third chapter of the Gospel of Luke, 30 years later, let's, let's regather for just a moment the political climate in that day. The political climate of that day is heavy in expectation. Expectation for what? A Messiah. Because Rome's heavy hand was squeezing the lifeblood of the people. They were so tired of having their land infiltrated by the ideologies of the Roman people, their Hellenistic thinking and their Grecian culture and their, 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 their illicit lifestyles and their pagan deities and their pagan gods. And, and, and Rome's uh, uh, brute force was squeezing the lifeblood and they believed that their Messiah would come. Their Messiah would come and be, and be a redeemer. And, and so in the third chapter, the scripture begins to tell us that, the, uh, that, that there was that political culture uh, that was suppressing the people and the, and the unwritten word is that the people were heavy for a Messiah when suddenly in the midst of that climate, a voice is heard, not from the temple, not from Herod's palace, not from uh, Pontius Pilate's palace, uh, but a voice is heard, one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And John suddenly appears. He's distinctly different. He doesn't look like the robe priest or the Levites. He doesn't look like the political leaders. He has a, a different look. He's clothed in camel's hair. He's got a leathern belt around about his waist. Uh, he has a diet of, the Bible says, of locusts and wild honey. He doesn't, he doesn't dance to the dumbbeat that the other people play. He has a voice that is reverberating. It, it penetrates to the heart. His message is not just copy and pasted and calloused and cold. His message is warm by the power and the anointing of God. People begin to hear and distinctly recognize there's something unique about this man. This is not just religious order of the day. This is not appeasing the, the political cries of the people. This is a man born of the Spirit of God that's got an anointing upon his life. Men and women begin to come from all walks of life to be baptized in the swirling waters of the Jordan River. John's message is unique. He cries out, Repent! For the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Some of the first messages that we see recorded is recorded there in the third chapter. John's message is strong. He doesn't paint a, 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 a particular rosy picture for anyone, even as the Jews themselves begin to respond. Here's how he addressed. You know how I address our congregation every Sunday? I say, oh, how beautiful a congregation you are. I'm so excited that you've come to worship together with me. John, if he were your pastor today, John said, oh, you generation of vipers. Who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? The people thought, me? I'm a descendant of Abraham. He said, I tell you, God can take the stones that line this riverbed and make children to Abraham. Don't think that just because you have the national heritage of Abraham that you are Abraham's children. He said, but repent, be washed in the water and let it reveal a change of your heart, change your mind, bring forth fruits that are worthy of repentance. It's a powerful, prolific message and people come to hear him from all walks. Isn't it amazing that when people just have the courage to preach the truth, isn't it amazing when people just have the courage to square their shoulders back and say, I'm not going to be bent by the sway of religious corruption or political corruption, but I'm going to base my preaching and my teaching upon the Word of God. There are still people that want to hear the truth of the Word of God. Thank God for it. I appreciate it so much. And the, the Bible records that John in his ministry, the Bible says that he testified of many... Did y'all note, note that? People came to him uh, just for a moment. The publican said, what must I do? He said, well, then don't take any more than what's expected to you. Do your job with honesty. The scripture says that the common person said, well, what must I do? He said, well, if you got two coats and you see somebody who's naked, then take one of your coats and put it on him. The soldier said, what must I do? He said, do violence to no man and don't accuse any man falsely and be content with your wages. And so the people, they were in strong expectation. They thought, who is this man? Maybe he's the Messiah. Are you the Messiah, John? And he said, no, I'm not. I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare you the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. One day he said this. He said, I baptize you with water, but there is one coming from among you 
He said, the latchet of whose shoe I'm not even worthy to stoop down and to unloose. He said, I baptize you with water, but there's one coming from among you that when he comes, he will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. His fan is in his hand. He will thoroughly purge the floor. He will gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn the chaff with unquenchable fire. The Messiah of God, he was the forerunner. Can you imagine that fateful day when John is baptizing Israelite after Israelite in the Jordan River when suddenly he looks up and a lone solitary figure coming from Galilee begins to walk down the banks of the River Jordan and his eyes see him and he knows him. He's never seen him before, but he knows him. He's never seen him with his visible eyes, but he knows him because this is he that was from the beginning and he prophesied that day, this is the Lamb of God that shall take away the sin of the world and Jesus himself submitted to John's baptism and so John's ministry was prolific powerful engaged reverberating throughout all the region John's ministry was not just isolated to preaching to the Israelites but he addressed the political issues of his day it got him in trouble the Bible says right here, that Herod the Tetrarch was reproved by him because Herod, this particular Herod, is Herod Antipas. Or Herod, Herod Antipas. It's confusing because there are about four different Herods in the scripture. But his brother Philip was married to Herodias. And Herod Antipas traveled down, stopped by the house one day, and him and Herodias got together romantically. When they got together romantically, they conspired that she didn't want to be married to Herod Philip any longer. She wanted to be married to Herod Antipas. And so she divorces him, and she moves in with the new Herod. And when John hears about it, John's got the courage to say, it's not right that you should have your brother's wife. And by reason of that, and the many other things the Bible says that he reproved Herod of, he was put into prison. Now while in prison, John faced a little bit of personal frustration. He sent messengers to Jesus to inquire if he truly was the Messiah. And in that passage, it's the seventh chapter of Jesus. The reason why John was a little bit frustrated while he was in prison was this real quickly. He still expected a deliverance from Roman occupation. And when Jesus wasn't rallying an army to overthrow Rome, there was a little bit of frustration. And so he said, are you the one that should come? Should we look for another? And during that hour, Jesus healed many of brokenness and sickness and disease. And he sent his disciples back and he said, go tell John the things that you have seen. How that the blind see, the lame leap, the dead are raised. And he sent word and he said, John, blessed is he who is not, come on, offended in me. And from that moment, then John affir Jesus affirms that. Remember, up until this point, Jesus, John has affirmed the ministry of Jesus. But now Jesus affirms the ministry of John. And he said this, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? What did you go out to see and to hear? Did you go out to see someone that's in soft clothing? He said those that are in soft clothing are in king's houses. What did you go out to see? A reed that is bent by the political uh, pressure of the day? No. He said you went out to hear a prophet. John is much more than a prophet. Of all the man, men that have ever been born of a woman, there's never a greater than the John the Baptist as a prophet of God. Jesus affirmed his ministry and Jesus took the opportunity to reprove the fickleness of his generation. And he said, just like oddly enough, we, God sent John to many of you and John came isolated, living separate. And you said, he has a devil. He said, I came walking amongst even the sinners among you and say, a wine-bibber and a gluttonous man and a man that's a friend of of sinners. It's a fickle generation. And so this ministry of John the Baptist is prolific. It's short-lived. It doesn't appear but for a while, but it created enough fervor and enough stirring to paint the way for the coming of the Messiah. I've often studied John's life and marveled at the strength and the, the courage that it took for him to live the type of life that he lived and to face the opposition that he faced and to, to do it so with love and grace and minister with the power and the anointing of God upon his life. But I have a question, one question that I want to ask you today that I want you to do with me for the next few minutes of time. 
I want to ask you, I want to ask you to think with me for a few moments. You're going to have to use some imagination. You're going to have to take what you know about John, his character, his ministry, and you're going to have to correlate it into the culture in which we live today. Here's my question that I want to ask you to, to join with me in attempting to answer. What if John appeared today? What if John appeared not in the Judean wilderness south of Jerusalem along the waters of the Jordan River, but what if John, the John, was sent to the American Contemporary Church? Are y'all hearing me today? Listen, what would he look like? Would he, would he dress like the contemporary preachers today? Untucked shirt? Super cool shoes like JoJo and Shane? <laughs> or would he have a gig line like me, us Air Force folk, right? All the way up, baby. Come on, somebody. <laughs> now, right, Brother Gerald? You know what a gig line is. They taught us that in the Air Force, didn't they? All the way down. Zipper, belt buckle, tie, all the way up. Or would he care? Would he have a bald head or a nice hairdo like I do? Would he have a massive growth like a bush in the wilderness like Shane or a neatly trimmed beard like me? I don't know. Or would he care? Would he care whether our church was looked like the ancient cathedrals of days gone by or whether it was looking more like some of the churches that we see today, some of which where they dim the lights and everything looks more like a, a concert setting or churches like ours that's kind of in the middle? Or would he care? Would he care about all the exteriors and would he be more concerned about the real issues of the heart and our response to God and our response to the Word of God and our response to stand up for truth and not be bent by the sway of corruption that's in America today? How would he respond to the fickleness and the filthiness of the American church? What would he speak to the political issues of our day? Would he remain silent, not wanting to offend anyone? Or would he lift his voice strong and bold, believing that he had an angle from God? He had been locked up in the wilderness and he had heard from God. I told you before, somebody's got it right. You're, everybody's following somebody. You better make sure who you're following has got it right. Would he reprove? Would he reprove all of us for our, the entertainment sports spell that we all seem to be under in America today? I thought about this. Would he come to some of you and he would say, why do you spend so much time on your phone? How many games can you play in a single day? But then I thought this. I thought he would come to me and JoJo. And he would say, Pastor JoJo and Pastor Brown, how many SEC football games can you watch in one Saturday? Come on now. Would he have a word to us? Would he say, church family, we've been duped into a spell? I believe, church family, I believe that John would have a voice that was authoritative and bold and strong. He would speak to our lives. He would confront us and he would cause us to look deeply inside of ourselves. He would ask our, cause us to ask questions about who we are, what we are, and what we believe. Who we're hanging out with, who we're connected to, who's influencing us, and who we are being influenced by. I believe in the name of Jesus that his voice would not be silent towards the contemporary cultural issues of our day. I know that many of you look for a church that's passive, a church that creates just a spellbinding moment of peace and tranquility, a church, that's a church that's afraid to lift up the voice and speak to issues that might offend someone else. And you know what? There may be churches like that, and that may be good. But honey, I'm telling you today, you're in the wrong place, you're in the wrong house, and this is the wrong preacher today in the name of Jesus Christ. I believe that the church ought to be the voice of conscience to the nation. I'm so tired of political institutions and 
universities and apostate churches influencing the minds of men and women while the church is isolated. We're quiet. We're backed up in a corner. We're afraid to lift our voice up. We're afraid to say what we believe. I say if ever there was an hour, if ever there was a day, if ever there was a moment, now is the time. Now is the time to live God loud, be bold, be vibrant in what you believe, knowing why you believe it, and be unashamed of the truth of the Word of God in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. Would John, the John who spoke directly about the illicit marriage of Herod and Herodias, would he openly reprove the American culture and many in the church for their support of supposed marriage equality? I believe he would. I do. I believe he would reprove the American Christian who supports the party that holds up an immoral standard. I believe that he would. I don't care if he lost his, not his uh, non-profit status. I believe John would say, I don't care. Take it if you want it. I'm going to preach the truth of the word of God. That's what I believe John would do. I believe if he had the courage to tell Herod and Herodias that their marriage was unlawful, I believe he would declare that the gay and lesbian marriage is not only unlawful, but immoral and unholy in the eyes of God. I believe that he would. I don't believe that he would be mean. I don't believe that, that, that he hates the sinner. We don't. We hate what sin does to people. And when anybody stands out against it, you get labeled a bigot. No, we love the Word of God and we know the depth of sin and we know that sin is destructive to humanity and if you and I can hold up the standard of the love and the grace and the mercy of God, the power of Jesus' blood will deliver us from sin, not just mask us while we indulge in it. Come on now, I'm telling the truth. Listen, I sold myself out a long time ago. I sold myself out to the things of God. I sold myself out to the Word of God. Listen, I believe we live in a, in, in a, a distorted culture today that there are some that would think that it would be okay, that it would just be us releasing who we really are. Listen, look at this. From I'm going to talk about Joe and Ann for a minute. Joe and Ann are a handsome couple. Ann's a beautiful lady. Shane, Candace, handsome couple beautiful lady. They spend a lot of time together. They're good friends. We live in a culture today that if Shane started making eyes at Jojo and Jojo started feeling the vibe back and they woke up one day and realized that that's who they were and they could divorce each other go to a state and marry each other and still pastor a church somewhere. Listen, you can support that if you want to, but the skinny preacher dressed in brown today ain't playing no part of that today. I'm just telling you, in the name of Jesus. I believe John had the courage to address it in his day, and we're going to hear the church, we're going to hear the, the spirit of John emerge. We're not ugly, we're not hateful, but we stand for the truth of the word of God. I believe in all my heart that, with all my heart that John would reprove Barack Obama for changing his position on gay marriage after the 2008 election. That's my belief. I believe he would reprove the, uh, the, the political platform that supports abortion and the 50 million babies that have been aborted in America since 1973. I believe because of his Jewish root, he would remind the people of what brought the destruction of Israel back during the days of the dispersal and the, or the exile when they discovered a Topheth south of this Jerusalem in the Hinnom Valley where Israelites were bringing their children and casting them into a burning fiery pit of worshiping the pagan god of Molech. And he would say, look what happened. I think he would look back and say, can't we learn from that? Aren't we better than that? I believe we ought to be better than that, in my personal opinion. Would he address, let me say this, 
Would John address the President of the United States a fixation with the Muslim community? Being a Jew and knowing what the Quran says, I got a feeling he would. Hello, somebody? Listen, I, I, whether y'all are glad to hear it or not, I'm here to preach it anyhow in the name of Jesus. Let me just tell you, I know I'm just an ignorant hillbilly. I know I don't have any formal training or education, but I got enough sense to know this right here. I know I wasn't trained in a Harvard school like Barack Obama was, but I, want, yeah, I know this message may never make it to the White House. They probably won't be putting this on uh, in, in the Rose Garden anywhere. But let me say this. If it were, if he were to accidentally have nothing to do, scanning the Internet one day late at night, he might come across Hebrew First Assembly, www.com. And my gosh, he might say, well, I'm just going to turn on the, the archives here. Listen online. Here's what I would want to say. Listen, if it looks like a duck... If it walks like a duck, if it quacks like a duck, most likely it is a duck. Listen, Muhammad prophetically, prophetically and pathetically spoke through the Quran that Muslims could marry five women. They could take them from warfare. He himself took 16. Muhammad authorized over 40 raids on the caravans, looting and killing. Muhammad authorized in the Quran the killing of Christians and Jews. Muhammad had 700 Jewish men beheaded in front of his own eyes. He and his followers took their wives and their children, and Muhammad forced himself on one of the women that same night that she had witnessed her own husband have his head cut off in front of her that same day. Muhammad authorized in the Quran the advancement of Islam by jihad. So when his followers for 1,400 years have continued to raid, to kill, to mutilate, to dominate, and to subdue cultures and regions, when they advance Islam in the name of Mohammed, when they cry Allah Akbar, God is great, as they murder Christians and Jews, then I want you to hear me today, if it looks like Islam, if it walks like Islam, and if it quacks like Islam, I'm sorry, Mr. President, it is Islam, no matter which way you want to pretend it's not. I believe if John were here today, he would have the courage to address this situation. I believe John would in the name of Jesus Christ. Would John reprove the pastors who fail to take sides on political and moral issues? That's a tough question there. I myself personally give some pastors a little more slack. What? Pastor Brown, here you are preaching like this. Listen. I believe we need a shallow end of the pool. I don't think every person has to, every week, every message has to be quite as penetrating as what I'm preaching today. I, 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 that's just me personally. Jesus, remember what Jesus said. John was isolated and separate, but he came eating and drinking. See, I don't necessarily have much of a problem with pastors who don't openly speak out all the time on the issues. Because there are those of us and there are those who do. That that's their call of God. I have a problem when the pastors openly embrace the sinful issues that we've talked about. I have a problem with that. But my biggest problem is this, is when the shallow end of the pool gets considered the standard. That's what I have a problem with. When all of a sudden everybody wants to create the standard of the churches that are moderate, that don't say anything, that have no salt, no, no strength of, to address the cultural issues, and we make that the standard. Ladies and gentlemen, that should not be the standard. That can be the shallow end of the pool. More people will come into the shallow end of the pool, I understand, but there has to be a voice of conscience speaking through the live stream of the church. And if the church, I just want you to know today, the church and this church, I know one thing. In the spirit of John, there may be pastors and there may be churches who don't take as strong a position but in the spirit of John, I want you to hear this today. I am not one of those pastors. 
You can write it down, love me, hate me. Write me a letter, doesn't matter, post what you want to, I don't care. I am not one of those pastors. I believe in biblical marriage between one man and one woman as the scripture reveals. I believe in protecting the unborn and I believe it's wrong when Christians support the party that, that, that pushes for the agenda to allow these things to happen. I believe it is wrong today uh, for, for the church to stand up and align ourselves with that evil cultural vice and doesn't have the, the courage to break free from it. I, I, I remind you of the words of John. He said to those that came and heard him preach, bring forth fruit that's worthy of repentance. Bring a changed life in the name of Jesus. Daryl, join me on the platform today. And so today, as I go into, it's been about 40 minutes for some of great stirring in your spirit of other of just inward hell on the inside because you don't <laughs> like to hear preaching like this because you want everything to be passive and quiet and good and, and you're just an ignorant old hillbilly uh, out there you know born and, and, and raised in Wil raised in Wilburn and pastured up in Shirley but I just remind you John was too but he Hello, somebody. I'm not trying. I would stand in them in the shadow, but just because somebody doesn't have degrees beside their name doesn't mean that they don't have a word from God. Let me just say that today, and you need to know that. You don't have to be. You don't have to be trained in all the, the theological cemeteries of today to have it all figured out. Let me tell you, I can study the Word of God to come out with the right angle, I believe. And I understand that by taking a bolder stance, I'm telling you, I believe with all my heart today that there's a dividing line coming in the church. And days gone by, the dividing line was kind of doctrinal issues. The Methodists baptized this way, so they went separate from the Baptists who believed in immersion. And then this happened and that happened in doctrine. But I believe the day and time is coming when the dividing line in the church is based upon some of the cultural issues that we label and some say, well, the church should be quiet concerning. Well, excuse me, your little apostate church may be quiet concerning it, but not this church. We're going to lift our voice. We're going to be strong. We're going to preach. At least this pastor is today. Y'all can vote me out next week and I'll say thank you for the best 12 years of my life, but next week I'll be somewhere in the city of Heber Springs and I may preach the addendum to this message next week in the name of Jesus because I'm the part of the culture like John I sold myself out a long time ago that I'm not going to be bent by the political persuasion of the day but to preach the truth and my job's to influence you because I believe in it strongly enough to seek to influence you in the name of Jesus now let me say this in closing today I wrote it this way in my notes you have to decide Somebody's right. You got to ask yourself, who's right? Barack Obama, Pastor Brown, Joel Osteen? Who's right? You got to decide. Jesus later asked, He said this The baptism of John, was it from heaven or was it of men? Remember that? And he said, So they thought, Oh my God. The Pharisees and scribes were trying to catch him. Y'all remember that? Can I close with this today? Let me close with it today. It's real important. I close with this. The Pharisees and the scribes were trying to catch Jesus in his words. They were always asking him these questions. And so Jesus said, Jesus said, the baptism of John, was it from heaven or was it of men? And they thought, oh my God, I can't answer that question. Because he said, if we say of men, they're going to stone us because everybody perceived John to be a prophet. That's God calling right now. <laughs> he said, preach on, skinny preacher. <laughs> but that's the truth. And so with that said, think about it for just a moment. He said this, he said, so they thought amongst themselves, so, but then if we say of heaven, he'll say, well, then why did you not believe? So they couldn't answer. That's a bad place to be. You're going to walk out here today, every one of you, and you're going to form an opinion of me and my own theological perception and my ideology, and you're going to say, man, that preacher had it right on today. Or you're going to say, he's a thousand miles off. God have mercy on his soul. I don't know. Only you can answer that. That's you. That's a, I have a responsibility to the convictions of my heart. 
If I don't have the courage to speak the convictions of my heart, I do not deserve the platform God's given me, the pulpit he's afforded me and given me the responsibility of. I'm not an abrasive, contentious person by nature and no stretch of the imagination. There's one person here under the sound of my voice that's known me all my life, and that's my dad, and he would attest that. I, I was a peacemaker. I'm a peacemaker even to this day. But sometimes you can't sit back and be quiet. Sometimes you've got to have the courage and say, you know what, I'm going to define what I believe, and I'm going to leave the rest to God. I tell you, we live in a dark day, a dark and a difficult day. I'm telling you, radical Islam plays no favorites. You better get ready, church family. You guard yourself. Guard that, that thing is, uh, this, uh, I, I, this is not a hate crime thing that I'm trying to, no, I'm not, none of that. This is not, fool, don't go foolish on me. I'm just telling you, if we turn a blind eye and pretend that that doesn't have at the core of it the annihilation of Christians and Jews and all non-believers in Islam, then you are living in a little, I don't know what color the sky is in the world you're living in because it ain't the world that I'm living in because I'm telling you, you read the Quran, you read the Hadith, and you read, uh, you read the history, the historical record. It's, 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 it's coming. It's already here. It's not coming. It's here. It's only going to get worse. I'm going to tell you, Barack Obama's wrong. The greatest issue we're not going to address in our culture is not climate change. Did you know that in climate change that what that means is that, the, that the, the, the earth, what they believe in the last hundred years, has climbed just barely one degree? Average temperature? Average temperature? That means instead of being average temperature in Arkansas, 72, it had been 73. And that's of greater concern to us than that, that rising element of violent Islam that has, that has slaughtered millions and millions. Go back and read history. Over the years, you better don't don't sit blind. Don't 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 be ignorant of these things, church family. We pray. We I pray for our leaders. I pray for God to give them wisdom. But we got to lift our voices up, and we got to be strong, church family, in the age in which we live. You better know what you believe. If the issues that I preach to you today aren't the issues that bear witness with your spirit, this may not be the church for you. I'm just being honest today. Don't be so in discord among us. I'm just telling you. I can't affect every one of your political views. Some of that's personal. That's fine. But I'm telling you, what I know to be the scripture, I'm going to preach. And I'm not going to apologize for it in the name of Jesus. I'm not going to apologize for it. Listen, it's a difficult time. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? That's what Jesus said. I preach this message. I'm in overtime now. I know it. I know it. But I'm going to just say this. Jesus said this right here. He said... Was the baptism of John from heaven or of men? So a message like mine, is it from God or is it from Lee? Only you can decide that. Only you. It's up to you. You just better make sure that who you're following really has it right. Come on. Or you can be near to the truth and miss the mark altogether. Okay, our heads are bowed, our eyes closed today in the name of Jesus Lord, I humble myself amidst this church family. The majority of this church that knows my heart today, God, they know me. They've been around me for 12 years, and they know. They know that personally I'm not a contentious person, and I'm not a basher of political leaders. I don't uh, pour jokes, and I don't play around with those things. I'm very respectful after being in the military, Father, and I'm mindful of all those things, God, but I want to be courageous enough to preach in the spirit of John courageous enough to address the issues that I believe truly affect our culture. Father, I know that the two or three things that I mentioned, Father, blatantly today aren't all that affects our culture. I know there are far more other things, many, many more. But God, I also know that these things do have a, a heavy response, Father God, from within the church and within our culture as to whether or not we're walking in the favor and the blessing of God. I pray for people today. I pray in the name of Jesus. I pray. I pray for our hearts and our minds and our spirits. If you're here today in the name of Jesus, and my, my ministry today to you, God, may have been foreign. May, may have...